Thank you, Matt. Thank you again to our team. One of the strangest conversations I ever remember having uh, through my whole life was when I was about 16 years of age, I was walking home from school one day and was stopped on the street by a stranger who asked a very unusual question. When you get stopped by a stranger on the street, they, you know, and you will have had this experience possibly, they want to know what the time is or perhaps ask for directions on rare occasions. They might, and I've had this happen too, they might ask you for uh, some money or perhaps, you know, hey buddy, have you got a light? Um, on, on one very memorable... I, I only thought this happened in the movies, but when I was a much smaller boy, I was out with my brother and dad in a car park one day in, uh, in our shopping centre, and a guy came through the car park and he said, hey, buddy, do you want to buy a watch? And he, actually, he literally had... I, I didn't know that this happened, but it did. It absolutely happened. He opened up his, his, his shabby suit jacket and here they were, genuine Rolexes. All in there. Do you want to buy a watch? Well, this is not the question that uh, this person asked. This person stopped me knowing that I went to a, a school that uh, had uh, aspirational Christian values and said, what does your school teach about the church? <laughs> not, I mean, I was probably just walking along lost in my own thoughts, which was typically the case, and suddenly kind of confronted with a question like that. What, is, what does your school teach about the church? And so we started a conversation which very quickly became a one-sided conversation because it was very obvious right from the beginning that this person was not really that interested in what my school taught about the church. They just wanted to tell me about their experience of church. And that experience had not been overly, um, shall we say, uh, edifying perhaps or positive because... Uh, she said, I went to this church but I didn't find them very friendly. So I went to that church but I didn't like the people there. And I went to this church and I didn't get on with that person. And I went over to this church and I didn't like the pastor. So now I'm not going to church at all. I'd been doing math and uh, you know the common denominator principle? <laughs> if you've had problems in all of these places, you want to ask the question, what is the common denominator? And I didn't kind of, you know, I w wouldn't have confronted that in that context. I might now, of course. Uh, but in those days, I just let that slide. Actually, to tell you the honest truth, I was a little bit shocked. Because this experience that was being described was so outside my experience, I didn't quite know what to do with it. You see, um, growing up, and I consider this a great blessing now, at the time, and I was a little bit ambivalent about it, growing up, uh, my parents insisted that we went to church every Sunday. We never missed. Even on holidays, we'd often find a church. We never missed. We would not go uh, with the excuse like, oh, we were out late last night, so um, we'll, we'll just leave church for a while. We, and look, as a kid, it was terribly frustrating because that was not all of my mates' experiences. Why, why we got to go every week? And and, like, it's such a long time. <laughs> My mother, who was good at math too, actually reminded me out of a whole week, this is how many hours there are, this is how many hours church takes. <laughs> uh, that argument was blown out of the water. 
But it was absolutely our experience as young, as young people that we just, that's what we did. And you know what that actually communicated was that this is important. That gathering with God's people actually is important. That being together with the body of Christ matters. That may have been said explicitly, but it was absolutely communicated implicitly. That worshipping together, being with God's people actually matters. I came um, across some research a few years ago uh, that I was so impressed by uh, that I've kept it and I actually put it on my office door, not here but uh, in other places, for people who came back, uh, which says this, we now know that non-religious children of religious parents cast off their beliefs for reasons that have little to do with intellectual reasoning. The latest cognitive research shows that the decisive factor is learning from what parents do rather than what they say. So if a parent says that they're a Christian but they've fallen out of the habit of doing things, uh, sorry, doing the things they say should matter, such as praying or going to church, their kids simply don't buy the idea that religious makes sense, uh, religion makes sense. That's pretty confronting, isn't it? You don't do it your kids will soon realise that it actually doesn't matter. And so, let me say this too, um, I honour those amongst us with young children who make the effort because sometimes getting to church with a car full of kids can be quite hideous and some of you who have been through it know what I'm talking about. But what you are doing is actually subtly communicating to your children, this matters. The body of Christ matters. And we want to talk a little bit about that this week as we go on. Uh, we're going to start, as I said, talking a little about the church, not our church specifically, but God's church, its people, its privilege, its purpose, its power, its potential. And today um, we just want to nibble around the edges of what is probably the greatest triumph of the church and also the greatest challenge, and that is that the church is made up of people. I joked on occasions back in the teaching days that schools are actually really good places without children. <laughs> <laughs> and, and every now and again, you know, occasionally tempted to think the same. The church is not a bad place when there's nobody around. But actually, that's wrong. Because we are the church. The church is the people. And so here we gather from different backgrounds, have different stories, we come with different expectations, we come with different theological understandings of some of the things that surround our faith and yet we're called together uh, by God to live as the body of Christ. We read from Nehemiah earlier uh, a challenging passage which might seem a strange place to begin but actually it's not a bad place to begin. Whoops, let's not go to that one just yet, sorry, my mistake. Uh, we'll leave that, we'll come back to that picture shortly. Uh, reading from Nehemiah might seem like a strange place to begin, but it actually is a good place to begin because uh, what we see represented there in Nehemiah chapter 3 is a whole gathering of people from very diverse backgrounds, all working for one purpose, to rebuild the wall. And if you do go through that, and let me encourage you, if you've got a, a hard copy Bible and you can highlight it, and I've done this, highlight uh, some of the jobs that they came for, we read of goldsmiths and perfume makers. I just can't imagine a perfume maker handling stonework, but they, there they were. Sons and daughters, girls and guys working together, nobles and 
and, and commoners, farmers and, and business people, all sorts of people rebuilding those walls and doing it not in competition but in cooperation with the purpose, the aim of rebuilding the walls. And in a sense, the New Testament church, our church, operates in the same way. People from all sorts of backgrounds with a common purpose, the advancement of Christ's kingdom here in our community, in our world and beyond. And so that passage from Nehemiah actually is quite strategic. If we jump into the New Testament, we see the same kind of evidence. Uh, We see, if we read through the letters of the New Testament, all sorts of people mentioned. If we read uh, the lines as well as between the lines, we meet people who are wealthy and people who are poor, people who are slaves, people who are free, men and women, Jew and Greek. How can you bring such diversity together? What community... Uh, group or organisation in the ancient world married people with such difference? Well, there were none. But here they were called together into the church, this rich diversity of people. So the question is, who gets to choose who is part of the church? Again, back in uh, the teaching days, the kids that I had, typically um, my kind of area was grade five or six, and I'd like to bribe them, you know, you work hard, we'll go out for a game. When we got out for a game, the game, the game of choice was often continuous cricket. You know how that works? Yeah, it's a great game. And so, uh, those of you familiar with it, uh, continuous cricket requires two teams, roughly equal kind of ability. The easiest way to decide on teams was to do this. Greg, you can be captain of this team. Brad, you can be captain of that team. Greg and Brad had come to the front and then they would take it in turns to pick. Greg's first choice is going to be Jim, because he's a semi-professional retired cricketer. Look at him. (laughs) He's wearing the shorts. And Brad, his first choice is going to be somebody else, Michael, because Michael's his best mate. And so on the choosing would go until you have two teams. Now, anyone who's ever been in that context or suffered the indignity of that method (laughs) will know I'm looking around I'm sensing there are some of you who have been in this place will know that if you're amongst the first chosen you're okay you know because the first people chosen are often the most sporting or they're the best mate or they're the most capable it's when you start to get down to the end of the of the line and I watched this and I changed the way I did this because when you start to get down to the line, it's a, what I might call a supreme form of humiliation. <laughs> it really is. Those last few people, typically the ones who are least adept at sport, are standing there just longing not to be the last. But someone's going to be last. And so, um, in my experience, I figured out, you know, the two-captain thing wasn't going to work. And so, I found other ways, you know, just get the kids to all line up, say, right, this half, that half, or so get together with your best mate, stand side by side, and then I'd split the whole lot so they were all... <laughs> uh, the kids never knew what I was going to do. <laughs> Worked brilliantly. We might like to have a say who is part of the church and who is not, but it's very clear from the Scriptures that the composition of God's church is by sovereign choice of God. We don't actually get to choose who are part of the body. We don't get to decide who we sit among each time the church gathered. 
and, and this is a reality echoed through the scriptures. Peter says it in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, where he reminded the Christians that he was writing to that you are a chosen people. God has chosen you. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Paul actually says the same kinds of things. Romans chapter 1, verse 6, you also are among those who are called and belong to Jesus Christ. Who does the calling? God does the calling. We don't get to choose who's part of the body. God does. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, I dwell on these thoughts for a few moments because it's good to remember that just like our biological family, we don't get to choose who our brothers and sisters in Christ are. That's something that God does. And the fact that God chooses and this body is made up of a rich diversity of people makes the command of Jesus to love our neighbour as we love ourselves actually hard work sometimes. It's not just something we can tip our hat to. We've spoken in the past here, and I'll uh, reiterate this again, you know, when Jesus said, love your neighbour, he wasn't just talking about some nefarious kind of imaginary person way off there in the distance. Oh yes, I've got to love my neighbour, you know, the neighbour in India or my, my neighbour in New Zealand or whatever. It's actually the people we live with. And when God calls us together to be part of his church, he wants us to live with people in relationship in the body and so the command to love actually gets uh, some traction. Because, and the Bible's not ignorant to this, uh, living together in community is actually quite hard work, isn't it? There are people who we don't necessarily get on with. Dare I say it, there might even be people in the church who grind our gears from time to time. People who we may not necessarily choose to associate with. And yet here we are, gathered together in this one place as the body of Christ. And while the captains... Brad and Greg will go to great lengths to choose the people that they want on their teams, giving preferential treatment to those with special ability or skills. This is the way that God does it. Let's read from 1 Corinthians 1.27. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. So I look around this morning and I look at you and I say, is it not amazing that you are here? God's chosen the weak and, and the unusual and the misshapen. And you look at me and say, isn't it amazing that you are here? Because you prove the point that God chose the weak and the unusual and the misshapen. And yet here we are together in the body of Christ. Now, I've used that, that language quite often, the body, uh, uh, intentionally. And for a second, I wonder if you could help me by just taking off your Western individualistic hat and put on an Eastern hat. Because in our Western world, one of the things that we've done is actually individualise our life in the body. You know, it's all about me. And that's one of the great challenges that we face in the church. I don't like, I don't like something in the church, so it's a problem uh, that takes priority over the life of the body. But God calls us to become the body. 
He calls us as individuals to become part of his body, the body of Christ. We become, when we are called by God, to be part of a community. And to be truly the people of God, it's necessary for the church to be more than just a gathering of pious or religious individuals. If this was the case, if we were just a gathering of individuals, then Christianity is reduced to a private matter, but it isn't. This is important. One of the essential differences between the Christian message when it's compared to other contemporary religions, uh, especially religions of redemption, is that the aim of Christianity is not just the salvation of the individual soul from sin and death or the ascension of the soul to a higher plane of consciousness. At the core of the Christian message which is at risk of being overlooked in our individualistic world, is the idea of salvation for the community that we become members of. We're actually called to be saved as part of a community. If we go back to Jeremiah chapter 31, uh, this passage will be familiar to many, 31, verse 31 to 34, a prophetic word of the Lord speaking at a time uh, well beyond the experience of Jeremiah. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel. Remember, God had made a covenant with his people. He'd called them out of Egypt. When they came out of Egypt into the desert, he gave them the law, he made a covenant with them, he created a people for himself. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'll put my law into their minds and write it on their hearts. I'll be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. There's a prophetic word that's looking forward to a time that we live in and a time beyond the time that we live in. But now, God calls us into a unique relationship, a new covenant, a new people, the body of Christ. And what this means is that when God looks at his church, he sees us as individuals, absolutely, but he also sees us through the lens of the body, now, I've been racking my brains trying to think, how do we explain this this week? How do we actually make sense of this in a really um, individualistic kind of context? So, let me show you a picture uh, that flopped up there on the screen a few moments. Imagine a piece of artwork. This is a piece of artwork, or is it? Or is it just a fuzzy photo of a baby? As we look at it, it's clear what the image is, isn't it? I've given you the answer. What is it? It's an infant. But if we drill into it, if we go a little bit closer, uh, let's see if that can happen, uh, a bit closer to the eye, you'll discover that it's pixelating, but it's not just pixelating. If you look really closely, you'll find that each of the parts of the picture is made up of other pictures. If we go in even closer to the iris, I hope that's really clear for you. Yes, it is. People can see that. If you can't see it, let me gently suggest next week you don't sit. <laughs> <laughs> here's, here's the point of the illustration. When God looks at the church, he sees the big picture. He sees the body. 
and the body matters to God. The body of Christ is important to God. God gave His Son for the body. And in some senses, as we looked at that picture, that's how God does see the church. While we are made up of individuals and God loves us as individuals, the lens through which He sees us is through the lens of the body. And that's really important because if we come back to the New Testament, it makes sense of why the New Testament authors make a big deal of unity because the body actually matters. The body's really important. In, uh, in my recreational reading just on a year ago, the last, the last holidays before these ones, that's a privileged statement, isn't it? Multiple holidays. Um, I read a really interesting book. I recommend it to anyone who's, um, who's a bit interested in history and I've talked about this one with a few people. Um, it's a book called, <coughs> this is a mouthful, The Long Tragedy... Australian Evangelical Christians and the Great War, 1914 to 1918. Not, not a number 10, 9, 8, 7, 5, 1 top seller, probably. But um, a, a really interesting read. I read it uh, towards the end of 2022 when the experience of the long tragedy of COVID was still fairly fresh in my memory and some of the memories of the fear there was in that, the division that was caused by that, the challenges that we faced in navigating our time here as the body of Christ were quite fresh. And it was really interesting because in retelling the story of how the evangelical church, churches like ours, how, how they managed through this time, this long tragedy, uh, it, described, it described what was happening, the impact that it had on the church, the fact that many churches, young men, disappeared over to Europe and never came back, that Sunday schools were drained of of talent, the church leadership was often drained. However, uh, the thing that struck me most and caused me to reflect most was the stories of the referendum of 1916-1917. They weren't actually referendums, they were more plebiscites, but Billy Hughes, the incumbent Prime Minister at the time, wanted to introduce conscription. And to do that, uh, he tried to go through the parliamentary process and was blocked and so, in 1916, introduced a referendum. Would people um, allow the government to conscript soldiers to send them to fight? And there was a statement made, um, rather an interesting one, about uh, this process in 1917. I've given it to you here. It was a public debate that has never been rivaled in Australian political history for its bitterness, divisiveness and violence. It soon emerged that what was at stake was not simply a disagreement about the military need for conscription, but an irreconcilable conflict of view about core values, the nature of citizenship and national security, equality of sacrifice in times of national crisis and, interestingly, the legitimate exercise of power within Australia's democracy. Now, of course, uh, this was going on in the community. How did it impact the church? And the author made the interesting observation that in 1916... Uh, the church, the evangelical church, responded reasonably positively. There was great, grievous disagreement. The church was split half and half. In fact, uh, the outcome of the referendum was very close. And the church was split too. But on the whole, Christians in the evangelical churches were able to get together in 1916 and say, come, let us reason together. Let's, let's debate the issue. Let's hear one another in a reasonable way. In 1917... December 1917, another referendum was proposed 
the same debate was held, this time the church did not respond as well. The author made the point that rather than saying, come, let us reason together, the prevailing, the dominant attitude in God's people was not, come, let us reason together, instead, come, let us rip one another's arms off. Not my comment, his comment. And I remember at the time putting the book down and thinking about it for a long time. What went wrong? Why was it that God's people moved from this exhortation to unity, which is so strong through the New Testament, to love one another and all of a sudden uh, want to tear each other's arms off? Years ago, I spoke to one of my students, a fellow by the name of Daniel Mong, who uh, became a friend of mine. He was a young man who grew up near Mount Hagen and he reflected on the incongruity of his own experience. He said, you know, David, in my village, on Sunday, we gather in Lotu, that's worship. We gather uh, together in worship. But on Monday, when we have a tribal fight, the same men that were in Lotu together are shooting at each other, trying to kill each other. How does that happen? We might laugh about that, and laugh about the incongruity. He's deadly serious. How do you move from this place where we are worshipping God as people who have been called together to be part of the body to this place where we want to tear each other's arms off? What's the dislocation? What's the problem there? And we all know how easy it is to fall into that trap. Um, Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 to 6 speak really really uh, powerfully to this Paul says as a prisoner for the Lord then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received be humble and gentle be patient bearing with one another in love make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace there is one body one spirit just as you were called to one hope and when you were called one Lord one faith one baptism one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all we laugh about stories like Daniel and, and perhaps reflect on the sadness of what happened in 1917. But I wonder whether there have been times where, if not in reality, in our minds, we've assassinated others in the body that we're part of. Where we've not been able to hold that unity that God encourages us to hold in his body. And it's important that we do because God is one. We see that there in Ephesians. His body, this random group of individuals that gathers together here is to reflect God's character and God is one. What has gone wrong? Perhaps a loss of humility, ignorant to being gentle, impatience, failing to bear with one another in love. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18 will be well known to many. It says, give thanks in all circumstances. One of the reasons I wanted to undertake this series to think about the church is actually to give thanks to God. One of the things that absolutely came out on Wednesday night is we have so much to be thankful for. We have so much to be thankful for. We want to be able to recognise as we think about these topics that every person here today who has, who has gathered and who acknowledges Jesus Christ as Lord has been sanctified and called by Christ. You are part of our body, you are part of our family. One of the reasons that I do want to spend time thinking about these things 
is to take the focus off ourselves and and the challenge that there is in that of course here in our western world to think not about me it's not my church it's not your church it's christ's church and here we are as part of christ's body to reorient ourselves in that way to be reminded too that in light of the oneness of god unity in the body actually matters a lot and as i said in my prayer to encourage each one of us to actually be the sort of people that we want our church to be to be the kind of people that god wants his church to be let me encourage you with that and let us pray as we conclude this part of our service let's pray together father we want to thank you again today for your church we thank you for the gift that you've given to us of different people who at times do shape us and challenge us and sharpen us lord forgive us for the times where we have been judgmental where we have distanced ourselves from others who are part of your body where we failed to look beyond the issue that sometimes may have caused us to to experience angst or to grind our gears and uh, to not see the likeness of christ in that person lord we thank you that you have called us to be part of the body and help us we pray to think beyond ourselves as we consider how we as individuals contribute to the life of the body so even today as we look around and we see opportunities to serve and to to elevate the life of the body and in so doing elevate christ lord help us to step courageously into those and let us too lord work for unity to be people who are slow to criticize quick to encourage to build up to edify and to see christ at work in all sorts of places in our church lord we thank you for this church we thank you for the opportunity that we have to celebrate your goodness next year 75 years a significant period of time but whether it's one year or 150 years doesn't matter lord you are at work we thank you for that bless our time as we continue to worship you now in jesus name amen